You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hello, everyone. This is Glenn Lowry of The Glenn Show, bloggingheads.tv and patreon.com forward slash Glenn Show. I'm here with Nikita Petrov. Uh, Nikita is a high-level operative in the behind-the-scenes machinations that make The Glenn Show happen. And uh, he and I are going to have a conversation about the workings of The Glenn Show, about how we interact with our audience, and about how we might envision our work being amplified going forward. So um, I've kind of kind of turned it over to Nikita uh, to kind of interview me a little bit, and he and I will go back and forth. But the bottom line here is that if you observe this episode a little bit different from what we ordinarily do at The Glenn Show, you have a much better idea about how you might get involved and about what we are trying to accomplish here in the broadest sense. So, Nikita, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and I'm hoping that we will understand a little better what we're trying to accomplish here, because that's one of the goals for me to, you know, leave this conversation with some pointers as to how we proceed and what kinds of ideas we're looking for. Um, so how do we start? There's a, a couple of things that we want to announce um, uh, there's a, a special email address that we set up for people to send in certain kinds of messages. And there's going to be a Discord server, like a platform for uh, the patrons to communicate with one another on an ongoing basis. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But um, I think I think for the purposes of clarity of all of this, for me as well as the audience, I want to ask you whether... It seems to you, if my perception is correct, that the Glenn Show recently has been becoming kind of more than what it used to be. It has been acquiring a new kind of quality with like when, when we started Patreon, there's a community started gathering. I've heard you and John talk about the like volume of messages that you're getting in the email. And that's the reason we set up that uh, special email address that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Is that how how uh, recent is the change in the volume, or has it been huge for like the last years? No, something is going on for sure. Um, I think in this last year, uh, since the summer of 2020, mm -hmm. the murder of George Floyd, uh, the protests, the rise of Black Lives Matter to an even higher degree of prominence the uh, global reaction to events in the United States, uh, the sense of a reckoning, um, the election of Donald Trump and the subtext of racial themes that, that carried with it. Um, I mean, there's a long list of stuff that one could point out, point to here, uh, the continuing uh, negative uh, and problematic encounters uh, between uh, people of color and police officers that create one after another after another of these viral incidents and so on. Uh, there is a heightened sense of, I think, uh, concern about race-related questions, which had been the beat that John McWhorter and I, the black guys at Blogging Heads TV, had carved out for ourselves. So, I mean, you're the you're the guy that keeps track of the metrics. My guess is that some of the episodes uh, that John and I posted at the Glenn Show where we entertained some of these questions and talked about them candidly and, you know, critically, 
attracted extraordinary attention, you know, 100,000 plus of views at YouTube and so on, much more so than our conversations had been attracting um, heretofore. Uh, so, th so there's a heightened interest in the subject matter. Right. Um, there's a distinctive voice. I think it could be said, uh, that uh, I am bringing and that John and I are bringing. We are not clones. John and I, John McWhorter speaks quite well for himself. Uh, he is my conversation partner on a regular basis at the Glenn show. We, we talk more or less twice a month, uh, as a regular, uh, uh, course of affairs. Um, but, uh, we have a, we have a somewhat distinctive voice. You know, it's a kind of contrarian voice. Uh, we're not saying what you would find on the cable news channels or on the pages of the national newspapers and magazines or in the websites that you associate with progressive, uh, reportage. Uh, we're cutting against the grain a little bit. Uh, people who watch the Glenn show will know more specifically what I mean by that, but it has a character that I think people, many people, if I judge by the comments that are left um, at uh, YouTube and at the Blogging Head site and at the Patreon uh, page that we have, if I judge by the reactions of people in the comments, uh, they're, they are uh, identifying something that's unique about the way in which we're talking about these issues, uniquely distinct from the, um, you know, uh, kind of acceptable, politically correct uh, uh, view. I mean, we, we cut against the grain. And I think that people are attracted by that. So, I mean, you asked me if there's been a change qualitatively in the mm -hmm. nature of reaction to what we're offering at the Glen Show, and I believe that that's the case. Uh, I don't have an exact count, but I can tell you that I could spend all of my time reading and reacting to email messages that I get to my personal account because I use my Brown University email for my for pretty much 100% of my email uh, traffic. It looks like that's probably a mistake, uh, you know, <laughs> because I can't segregate. Of course, you have done and you are going to explain greater length what you have done for the for the people communicating to us at Patreon to segregate some of those messages out. But there's a lot of stuff that's coming in. People are asking us for advice. People are basically spilling their, their, their guts. They're telling us their life stories. They, they are, uh, confessing to us or, uh, confirming for, uh, themselves that, uh, at least somebody can understand what it is that they're talking about. They just need to write the letter. Yeah. And I'm talking about hundreds of people. Uh, because that's the volume of the incoming that, that I'm experiencing. And I think John, McWhorter could similarly report. Uh, so there seems to be a hunger uh, out there. You know, we're national treasures uh, in some of these accounts. Uh, we are making it possible for people to go on with their daily lives. We're we're saving them from madness. They they quite literally are saying I've seen that. Yeah, I would go mad, but for you know the relief that I get when I listen to you guys and so on. So uh, yeah. Uh, Something we're at a particular kind of cultural slash political moment. It it would appear uh, in the country here in the United States of America, uh, and uh, on the race questions. Uh, modestly, I want to say this. I want to say this modestly. I think that 
uh, what I've been saying in writing uh, and what John McWhorter has been saying in writing. And again, I emphasize we are distinct personalities with our own respective views of these matters um, has has uh, uh, touched the nerve somewhere um, in the uh, American and even beyond. I mean, we get we get correspondence from people in Europe and Australia and so on uh, as well. It's touched the nerve out there somewhere, and and I've uh, felt a certain degree of satisfaction that um, that uh, we're so appreciated. Of course, we're also there are many who don't appreciate us, but that's another question. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So by way of sort of outlining the trajectory of where we are now uh, and where we might be headed. So what we did, I, I heard a conversation between you and John where you said those things, similar things to the ones that you just said just now. And uh, I guess you just aired the idea right there in a conversation that maybe now that there's uh, some money in the Patreon account. Maybe uh, you guys should hire somebody to sort through all of these messages because even reading them is becoming difficult, let alone answering or answering meaningfully, actually providing some advice if a person is asking for advice uh, and things of that sort. And so what we decided to do as we're trying to figure out what to do with this is to set up a special email address, uh, the work at glenshow.com uh, that would be used specifically for these kinds of messages that uh, seem to require action uh, on your part or, um, well, we I, I, I suggested that we set up four kind of categories that people could uh, label their message with. And those, if I can remember them, work, grow, uh, info and help and those refer to work uh, like if somebody wants to offer some volunteer work they would put the word work in the title if somebody has ideas for how this project the Glenn show and you know your overall enterprise can develop they should use the word grow if they need help if they are because you've been getting these messages where somebody's asking like I need a lawyer is what I need at this juncture. Then they should put the word help in the subject line. And then if there's information that they want to share about what's happening at their, you know, place of employment or school they attend to or school they their kids go to that is relevant to your beat, then they should put the word info in it. And and we've gotten so we, we this is the first time we're uh mentioning this email address on the Glenn show but uh we uh put it out on Patreon and uh in your newsletter at Substack. And so those not huge venues but we've gotten quite a few messages and I was looking at those messages and uh it's at looking at you know, at the time of looking at these messages is that when I realized that something like I underestimated the scope of this thing. And by this thing, I mean, I guess both the Glenn show and the, the subjects that you're discussing. Can I, can I just interrupt for a moment, sure. Nikita, because I want to just reiterate what you've said. The email address is the work at glenshow.com. And we ask that people use one of four, code words in the um, title or the uh, 
subject information line. line, the subject line of their email, work, grow, help, or info. And those are pretty much self-explanatory. Uh, but it's a great help to us if people both direct their communications about the Glenshaw to that email address. And if they identify the uh, rough subject that uh, they are writing about uh, with these code words, work, grow, info, and help. So I just wanted to reiterate that. You, you were right. saying. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, so we've gotten quite a few messages. And, uh, and I was thinking of structuring this conversation around those messages. I, I, certain themes uh, seemed important, difficult to address, challenges uh, to deal with to me. And so I wanted to bring some of those to your attention uh, and uh, hear your views on those. And I okay. have some of these out here. Well, actually, actually, before we go into that, uh, another announcement is since it is still the case that even though there is a special email address and uh, there are fewer emails there, I suppose, than in your personal account, that's still a lot. And it, it's still a challenge to figure out how to, you know, actually do something about the concerns that people uh, send in. So the next step that we thought of is to set up a platform for people to connect with one another. And we decided we're going to launch a Discord server. Discord is an app that people can use to uh, have group text chats and audio calls and video calls. And um, all of the patrons over the Glen Show will have access to this like place where they can talk to one another. And part of the reasoning behind that is some of the messages that came into the work at glenshow.com seem like complementary to one another. So uh, one person writes, could you point me to a good attorney? And then another person writes and says, I'm an attorney and I would be happy to help if somebody needs my help. Uh, so that is the kind of thing that really, if we just put these people together, they could help one another. Uh, that's part of it. And I guess another part of it is it seemed to me, because you, as you're saying, some of these people write in and say, they've been feeling alone or like they're going crazy uh, or that's something that's happening to them. They don't know if that's only happening to them or it's a part of a bigger trend. And so it seems that in just sharing their experiences with one another, getting to understand the situation in a broader scope than their particular locality, there can be a benefit too. So we're hoping that... Um, we don't know how it's going to go, but we're hoping that this is going to be of help. So if if you are a patron of the Glenn Show, uh, you're going to have access to this Discord account. We're going to put instructions on, on the Patreon website. And um, I'll check in that place, and uh, we'll see whether a productive conversation can, can be fostered there. Let me underscore that the uh, email portal that we previously discussed here is open to anyone who wants to communicate yeah. with us but that this community that we're going to be creating at the Discord server that allows for uh, interested parties to interact with each other will be accessible through our patreon.com forward slash Glenn Show page uh, to our patrons at either the $5 per month or the $10 per month tier. 
That's correct. Right. So now to some of these substantive things uh, that came up in the emails. Here's one that I was just surprised, I guess. Again, I'm looking at this from afar. I'm in Russia. I have only second, third-hand knowledge of what is happening in America. And our concerns here are very different. <laughs> not not easier ones, but a different kind. Well, I am following the news, Nikita, and mm -hmm. I did hear about a mass arrest nationwide of thousands of people, 1,500 individuals or something like that. And that made a chill run down my spine. So, you know, keep your head down. Well, I, I, I was at the St. Petersburg protest last night with my girlfriend. We were lucky to not get grabbed, but it is depressing. I'm saying this with a smile because you have to stay cheerful in order to survive. But um, yeah, the situation is not good. Anyway, your situation is something that I have only kind of vague understanding of uh, looking from, from afar. And one of the things that I was surprised to see in the messages that came in is the amount of fear that people have about speaking up about speaking up you know th there are cases where it's uh, there's a decision that's being made at the university let's say and speaking up in that context uh, it takes a, a certain amount of courage but uh, my sense is that people are even afraid to, you know, there's a conversation happening at a cafeteria table at an office and people are discussing, you know, BLM protests or something and somebody who doesn't have the opinion that the majority of their progressive company shares is, has a real concern about even voicing that opinion uh, because they fear some consequences. And I'm not sure, well, I my question is, how do you assess the validity of that fear? Do you think, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave it at that. How do you, how, how afraid do you think people are and how afraid should they be? Okay, so it seems to me there are two voices that I could use to respond to that question. One would be with a green eye shade on as a social scientist. Mm-hmm who regards the question as an hypothesis and would look for, you know, the kind of data and the kind of strategy of inference with those data that would allow me to quantitatively address the question. No doubt some of what you say is going on, but the difference between the anecdotes, even hundreds of anecdotes in a country mm -hmm. of 300 million plus people and the reality could be quite substantial, and one just would want to be careful not to make glib generalizations based upon, you know, your own personal or idiosyncratic uh, experience about a matter as important as that. I mean, if I am given, as I am given, to saying that uh, the, the fear that many African Americans express about dealing with the police is overblown, even right. though there are instances where things go badly for African-Americans dealing with the police without any doubt, nevertheless, a country of 300 million people, et cetera, then likewise, I should be cautious in making broad statements here. So I don't know is the answer at that level of rigor. Uh, it's a fair question, and certainly one would want to 
have uh, research uh, organizations that do survey research of opinion and so on, thinking about including questions, for example, in the general social survey, which is a major uh, private uh, at the national uh Oh, NORC, National Opinion Research Center at the University of Chicago oversees the general social survey. They have a panel of, I don't know, it's probably 10,000 or so people to whom they ask Americans. It might be bigger. I've not looked at it in a while. They ask, you know, a, a wide battery of questions about their opinions about politics and social life and so on. That kind of thing, I would hope that people who run surveys of that sort are thinking about trying to expand the set of questions that they put before people to take into account the 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 this kind of concern about political correctness about uh, injury to their reputations to their professional uh, possibilities or whatever just to their uh peace of mind associated with speaking out about sensitive matters of racial uh, uh, content uh, in a highly polarized content. Maybe the person doesn't like Black Lives Matter. Maybe they didn't really appreciate the diversity training that was inflicted upon them by their employer, et cetera. Uh, and, and they don't feel comfortable saying that. So, so I hope that serious people take this kind of a question seriously enough to try to provide us uh, with something more than anecdote uh, to assess from a, a social scientific point of view about the, the, the scope of this problem. Are we, you know, in an era of a kind of new McCarthyism, you know, this kind of question. One reads, I wasn't really conscious. I was alive in 1948. I was born that year, but I wasn't aware of what was going on uh, in American politics in the late 1940s and the early mid-1950s. But I understand that there was a climate in some ways similar to what it is that people whom you're referencing are reporting about now, where you, one just had to be careful what one said about what was going on in the newspaper or whatever. One did not want to get identified as being on the wrong side of that question. Now, people will get angry hearing me compare uh, concerns about cancel culture and political correctness and race with the anti-communist hysteria that swept through American culture and politics in the late 40s and early 50s. And it's not, I'm not asserting that they are at exactly the same or even maybe even close to being the same things in terms of the intensity. I've acknowledged that I actually don't know. But I think anyone familiar with the uh, historical experience will see echoes of it uh, in some of what it is that we're seeing going on right now. So anyway, part of my response is, I don't know, because it hasn't been measured in a way that I think could definitively address the question. On the other hand, my very strong impression is that, uh, and certainly from the correspondence that I'm getting, which is not a systematic survey, uh, and also from my reading of what's going on, I mean, the cases multiply. There's this young woman, Jody Shaw, at Smith College, who's become a cause celeb amongst the anti-cancel culture uh, uh, segment of American politics, a small segment, but we're, we're still here alive and kicking, uh, because, uh, she objected to, uh, the, uh, diversity training that was inflicted upon employees of the college and basically has left her job at the college and has 
gone on a crusade uh, with a YouTube channel and and uh, periodic videos that she posts in which she simply gives the account of what happened to her at Smith College. Uh, and it is basically, if you're white, you must be a racist and you need to repent, repent, repent. And she's saying, well, wait a minute, why did my race even become a matter of discussion in the context of my employment? This is a hostile workplace mm -hmm. where you're asking me to apologize about being white, she says. And there are other things that go along with the Smith College environment that Jody uh, Shaw uh, has uh, has uh, gotten uh, publicly involved in. But I give that as one little example of uh, the things that could be repeated over and over again uh, a teacher, Paul Rossi, at the Grace Church Academy, which is a private uh, school in Manhattan in New York City, an elite private school that costs fifty or $60,000 a year to send your kid to. He's a math teacher there. Um, he was objecting to the woke uh, sensibility that informed the uh, teaching materials on racial uh, issues that were being used in the curriculum at the school and to the uh, uh, diversity training and the kind of political indoctrination that the staff and the families, the parents of students matriculating at the school were being subject to. Um, and uh, actually, he mentions Glenn Lowry in uh, his letter because he says uh, he suggested to the head of the school that they might he might want to share some of the writings of Glenn Lowry with his students to give them a alternative perspective on how to be thinking about the problems of race and racism. And the uh, school uh, head uh, dis discouraged him from doing so, saying to him, in effect, Lowry being black and talking like this is hardly representative of the sensibility of most black people. And it would only confuse and infuriate our students and others if they were to be exposed to Lowry's writing. Why don't you find a mainstream white conservative whom you can share with your students and uh, you could perhaps get the same point across without uh, confounding it with uh, this, this black guy. Uh, and that became, that has become public. And uh, as a consequence of Rossi making that public, uh, he's in effect been fired from the school. He's been asked to leave the school, his teaching position there and asked not to set foot on the property of the school without prior consultation with the authorities there because he's provoked a furious backlash. And one has to wonder um, how many Paul Rossi's are there out there who are saying nothing because they know that were they to speak up, the similar fate would, would befall them. Now, this is not exactly a firing squad. This is not, you know, being stoned to death uh, by a mob or anything like that. I think when witches are not being burned at the stake here, <laughs> uh, but the sense that uh, please don't tell anybody I said this. I write to you anonymously. I write to you confidentially. Right. Here is my report. This is a standard uh, opening paragraph of a, a lot of this correspondence. So there is something. Uh, there is something there. There, There's another element to this that I'm wondering about, which is, like, even if the concern uh, that makes people fearful is, uh, you know, overblown. There's not real danger. You can speak up at your progressive company and uh, people will, you're not going to get fired. You're not going to get in trouble, but you still choose not to speak up because you're afraid. And that changes the dynamic of the situation, right? And it, it there's a, there can be a, a bit of a feedback loop. I, I suppose it's a similar thing with 
you know, the fear of cops. If you're actually not in more danger than anybody else walking by a cop car, but you fear the police, and if a, a portion of the population starts to fear the police uh, as a rule, then that is going to change the relationship between the police and that part of the population and uh, the overall dynamics in the society. I guess a, a question there to me is, if you're that person, if you're at, you know, you work at a progressive company, whatever, you, you do go through the training, and nobody at the training says that uh, they're uncomfortable with it, and you don't know how many people actually are uncomfortable because nobody says anything, isn't it partly on you to actually speak up even though you might be afraid? Well, I, I smile because this question that you put to me triggers in my mind so many uh, friendly associations that make me that make me smile uh, about things I've read or or, or uh, thought. So there's a uh, she may not be living any longer a German a political scientist named uh, Elizabeth Neuela Neumann uh, Neumann I think they would say Neuela Neumann. Uh, preference falsification was her idea. This is back to, I think this book was written in the 1960s. But her observation is that because of forces such as those that we're describing here of conformity, people who may have deviant thoughts from the acceptable line and anticipate that if they express their thoughts, they will be mm -hmm. punished socially. Perhaps again, not the guillotine or the firing squad, but Nevertheless, unpleasantness. They keep it to themselves, which makes it impossible for any individual one of them to know whether or not the deviant opinion that they harbor is widely shared. They don't know. And so they think they may well be in the minority and are afraid to express themselves, but they might not be in the minority. And she explores the implications of this, and this idea of hers is taken up by uh, an economist, a Turkish economist uh, working in the United States named Timur Kuran, K-U-R-A-N, and I think he calls it preference falsification or something like that. I, I, he, I, he's got a book out there, uh, I can't remember the title of it offhand, but it would be very easy to find, T-I-M-U-R-K-U-R-A-N, Timur Kuran. Um, and, uh, he wants to observe that, you know, in such environments, they are ripe for, uh, for rapid and seemingly inexplicable political change once the dam breaks. Once, mm -hmm. once a few people and then a few people more and then a few people more encouraged by those who have already done so begin to express their true preferences. And then all of those quote unquote silent majority who have been husbanding their thought and not wanting to share it, uh, feel authorized to do so. And the next thing you know, what had been a consensus has been completely washed away and you get, and you get a uh, radical change. Such might be one man's theory of some kinds of social uh, revolution. So, so those kind of thoughts are triggered in my mind. I, I do think that there's a, an interesting strategic, uh, uh, issue here. And, uh, I, it's, it's, uh, it is exemplified by the the climate of uh, enforced conformity, uh, which I think is abetted. Uh, I don't want to ramble here. Let me just finish up. 
I think it's abetted by interested parties who may well know uh, that uh, the consensus view has uh, deep problems, but who can profit from, you know, playing it up. I mean, political actors who can use uh, the tropes and and the, the the platitudes and the slogans in order to rally uh, their in order to rally their troops or appeal to uh, some part of the electorate or something like that. Corporations who may see their bottom line business interest as being uh, reinforced by them getting on a bandwagon themselves and again cre- helping to create an environment that might not be true to the actual sentiments of the populace, but that. Uh, they gauge to be uh, the the you know you want to be on the right side of history you 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 want to look good you want to manage your brand cultivate your brand in a way that appeals to other people to the masses of people uh, so if Black Lives Matter and a few uh, uh, outspoken athletes decide that a certain kind of demonstration of their concerns about social justice is appropriate you may find major players getting behind it uh, just because they calculate that this is the path of least resistance uh, without perhaps having any deep investment uh, themselves. But uh, the effect of that will be to reinforce the larger consensus and to further marginalize people who who, uh, have uh, uh, issue with it. Something like that. I'm I'm thinking off the top of my head here, but I think there's, I mean, if I may just say, Nikita, uh, your humble servant here, Glenn Lowry, in 1994, in a journal called Rationality and Society, that's a referee scholarly sociology journal, published a paper called A Theory of Self-Censorship in Public Discourse, in which I develop, not technically, it's not at all inaccessible to anyone who might be interested in it, it can be easily found online. Uh, I develop a, a sustained argument along these lines, drawing on Noel and Neumann and uh, Quran, uh, amongst others, uh, in, in uh, pursuing that, uh, that argument. So this is a, a subject that's near and dear to my heart. Been thinking about it for a long time. I, I might just add, and this is somewhat parochial, uh, amongst African Americans, we are only 10% of the population here in the country. I would reckon perhaps not much more than 10% of the viewership of the Glenn Show, if I judge by uh, what appear to be the people commenting on on what we, John and I, present. But amongst African Americans, there is enormous pressure to conform around these issues. And I hear from people who identify themselves as being blacks uh, in the comment section, as well as in my mm-hmm. private correspondence, mm-hmm. who are very grateful for the presence that uh, the Glenn Show is uh, making in the statements, the point of view that is being espoused, uh, because they feel it themselves, but have felt terrified to say to their friends, uh, that this is what they actually think because it's associated with, you know, disloyalty to the, to the cause to, to say anything critical of, say, uh, what Black Lives Matter are saying about police violence. But, you know, there, there are many other racial issues. If you speak as I did in a skeptical tone about the claims of Jim Crow racism rearing its head again in the Georgia election security, dispute. There's a dispute about a law in the state of Georgia. It's caused uh, major consternation and some uh, uh, talk about boycott and so on of the state of Georgia because of a law that they've enacted trying to secure elections, which some people allege 
is a law that is intended to disenfranchise African Americans. And if you question that as a black person, uh, that's sort of beyond the pale. And yet I have questioned it and I am a black person. And I've heard from people that, uh, better you than me, but I'm awfully glad you've said it. That is other black people who also have these questions, but who know how high a price they might have to pay where they to express themselves openly about them. Okay, so I, I think there's something to that. Uh, at, and I'm not sure how our, uh, our efforts at uh, the uh, Patreon page can, can be helpful. Maybe if only putting people in touch with each other, but um, I don't know. I, I have a follow-up on this and it, it's kind of like the next question on my list. I had to switch to a different computer with a worse camera and my mic is not connected. So apologies for that. Mm. So we we're talking about the fear of speaking up uh, about the concerns people feel about uh, voicing an opinion that at least they perceive is the minority opinion and the you know con consequences of that that uh, may ensue there's another question that was raised in these emails at the work um the, uh, at glenshow.com that seemed very not only interesting but very important to me and that is people asking for advice on to how engage with an opinion that they not only disagree with, oftentimes they don't understand how, like there's, you know, there are ideas that, and there was some person, I, I forget now whether this uh, person asked to uh, not share any of uh, their details. So I'll just say uh, a professional in a field and, and now they're hearing that their entire field is, racist like that science is yeah. is is a part of the systemic oppression and so forth and uh i really appreciate it in that message it was not a person saying you know how crazy these people are yeah uh or i'm, I'm angry at being put in this position this person was saying i don't know how to start to understand this position yeah. Can you give me some pointers as to how to make this more understandable to myself? And then alongside with that, there are a lot of messages of people asking for advice on to how to go about having a conversation without turning it into a fight. And that yeah. I think it relates to this like fear of speaking up. It's one thing, it's, it's more scary to speak in a fashion where you're saying, well, I'm against everything that you stand for. And let's ha hash this out. If there is a way to speak up in a non-confrontational way, in a way that would lead to a productive conversation, well, that would probably be easier uh, to, you know, not not as scary to do. You, you probably will have fewer consequences you wouldn't want. But then on the other hand, it's it requires a, a certain kind of skill, an understanding of how to handle that kind of conversation. So. I guess my question for you is twofold. One is, do you have advice for these people? And the other is, do you yourself face that? Like at your university, I assume there are people who disagree uh, with your positions. Are you able to have productive conversations with people with whom you ideologically are very opposed to one another? Okay, let, let me respond to the to the first question first. I definitely am getting this kind of uh, correspondence and query, uh, people asking for help basically at 
as you say. I simply want to understand what strikes me as an inexplicable kind of opinion, and I care about the person who's expressing it, but I don't understand it. Can you help me understand it? And also saying, uh, I've my initial instinct is to disagree, but I don't want to offend our relationship. Mm -hmm. How can I express my disagreement or engage in a constructive exchange uh, with people? They're not asking for cover against being called a racist, I think, so much as they're simply saying, I actually value the ability to have a conversation, but I'm not certain that I'll be able to have one. Can you give me guidelines? You know, what, what, particular sensitivity should I avoid? What strategy, what rhetorical uh, strategy or, you know, strategy of conversation should I uh, engage in? We got this at the Q&A at uh, the Patreon page that John McWhorter and I do. Uh, one person asked, how do you maintain the quality of your romantic relationship if you right. disagree with your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend about politics? How can you guys, you know, work it out without damaging... Uh, the relationship. I've actually been approached by um, someone I don't want to say too much about because I don't want to betray their their confidence. But a, a, a person of uh, you know uh, that we 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 kind of work in the same general you know academy and the same general discipline and whatnot. Asking about uh, in the context of a mixed marriage where one party is white, the other is black how to get along with the father of the of the other party because the father of the other party has a different political opinion about black lives matter and he and he doesn't want his grandchildren to get affected by you know this kind of thing yeah so so it's definitely out there now do i have advice i mean not really <laughs> i i faked it at the uh patreon q and a i came up with some words <laughs> You know, uh, but they were off the top of my head. Well, okay, if it worked, it worked, but it, it wasn't scientific. It wasn't as if I'm somehow suddenly now with a PhD in uh, clinical psychology advising people how to manage relationship uh, problems uh, or whatever. I, I just talked off the top of my head. Um, but uh, so it would be great if we could find a way of helping people uh, through the Glenn show and um, our uh, discord uh, server and everything else that we're going to do, uh, helping people uh, get support from one another in maintaining a sustained conversation with one another about uh, their, their difficulties, you know, getting uh, it, a little bit like Alcoholics Anonymous, where I used to have a problem with alcohol and I used to go to meetings, you know, and we go in there and we talk about not drinking and I didn't drink today. Hallelujah. This kind of thing. <laughs> a little bit, you know, mutual support. I don't want to get too uh, touchy feely here, but I think it'd be great if we could help people in that. Now, as to my own uh, circumstance, uh, this last year, the, the pandemic has... Uh, has changed a lot about social interaction, which is mostly virtual now. I don't actually see people. I don't see them in the kind of space like at the faculty club where you're going in for lunch and you have to walk past the tables where your colleagues are seated and you have to greet them. And they either smile or they don't smile. They either look you in the eye or they look askance at you. Their lip either curls or it doesn't, you know. And 
even without words being exchanged, you'd be able to pick up, you know, I'm in bad order because of that post or that piece that I had in Quillette.com last week, which was uh, beyond the pale and, you know, unacceptable. And now they hate my guts. I'm not getting that because I'm not going to the faculty club, but walking past my colleagues uh, at the uh, lunch table or in the buffet line and uh, rubbing shoulders with them and whatnot. I'm, I'm basically only communicating with people that I am required to communicate with for, you know, doing my work. Um, and that's more students than it is colleagues. We have faculty meetings, but there's always an agenda in my department, uh, which is uh, fairly clinical. And there's not a lot of time for banter or, or back and forth or casual conversation. So in this last year, year and a half, I don't know uh, how the what with the uh, the movements uh, uh, upsurge last summer and all of the uh, consternation that went around that. And with me being quite active, uh, writing in various venues uh, and mm -hmm. expressing mm -hmm. what might be for many unpopular opinions, I actually don't know how they've been received uh, by people. They're not, I'm not encountering them. Uh, more broadly, I mean, I'm not new to the business of being uh, contrarian politically. I have a long history as a black conservative going back to the 80s. Uh, I kind of stopped being as conservative as I was in the mid-late 90s uh, on through the early mid-aughts. But I'm kind of swinging back in the other direction now. I have a long history of being kind of the odd man out uh, amongst people in the academy where I mainly reside. Uh, on uh, questions of politics. I was much friendlier, for example, to Donald Trump uh, than almost any of my colleagues would have been, even though I was not a Trump supporter. People won't believe me. I was just a guy that said, eh, I don't know if he has to be a racist. He has views, you know. I'm, I was just a guy who said, uh, I don't know if he's crazy. You say he's stupid? I mean, come on, how stupid could he be? This kind of thing. I would, you know, I was a guy who said, well, actually, it did turn out to be a hoax. What he said was a hoax actually did turn out to be a hoax. I'd be, and I'm not asking you to uh, agree with this, Nikita. These are controversial right. things, but I'm just saying I'm no stranger uh, uh, to the to the controversy. And I I think uh, you know uh, I yeah, my, my my circle of friends is probably less robust than it otherwise would be. My dinner invitation dance card is probably less full uh, than it otherwise might be. But I'm I'm not uh, actually living in social isolation. And the final thing I'll say about this is that with my students uh, who are Brown University undergraduates, and then they're the PhD students in economics, but some of them come from Russia, Nikita, and they, they've got their heads down doing their mathematical analysis and our economic theory courses and don't look left or right to get involved in anything political. Uh, not only from Russia, some of them are from China and some of them are from India and some of them are from Argentina, and some of them are from Spain. They're from all over, uh, but they're not the graduate students much involved in politics. But the undergraduates are keenly sensitive to every twist and turn uh, in uh, political culture. They are largely on the left, although not exclusively so. Um, and they do push back in my classes, uh, raising questions and in their papers, as they write, objecting to some of the things that I may have said in lecture. But I'd like to think, I could be deluding myself, but I'd like to think that on the whole, I have their respect, even if I don't have their support uh, for all of the particular points of view that they are aware that I hold. I mean, doing the Glenn Show 
makes it not a secret what you think. Everybody can look at it. And a lot of people do. A lot of people who my encounter do, people who might not tell me that they have looked at it, look at it. And then they encounter me influenced by what it is they may have seen me say at the podcast. Uh, I have to take that into account when I encounter people that they, that, you know, I can't presume that they're unaware of the fact that I have particular kinds of opinions. Uh, even so, on the whole, I'd say my relationship with students is good. I don't have any angry uh, remonstration or demonstration in my classes in which people accuse me of having assaulted them by having a particular point of view. They push back when they want to push back respectfully. I, I respond to them respectfully. We can agree to disagree. Um, I think if I were white, it would be a completely different story. Uh, I think if I were a white professor taking up some of the positions that I've taken, uh, it would be, it would be, I would not be saying this with the same casual, you know, acceptance of what will be, will be. I would, I would, I would be able to report a much more negative consequence for my social life and my professional life. If I were white, I, I expect that I have a certain degree of cover, uh, as an African American. I am somewhat immune from the charge of, of being a racist. Uh, you know, being someone who's just simply on the wrong side of history, more likely to either be accused of simply being, uh, hopelessly naive or of being, uh, a grifter who's saying this because I know that I, there's a niche, there's a market niche for a certain kind of black Afro contrarianism that, uh, I, I might reflect. I don't think of myself that way. I, I think I can disprove that claim, but that, but, People respond to me either with with uh, contempt uh, or with pity, but none of it embodies me being a racist, uh, which I think is the thing that a lot of people are afraid of. Okay, yeah. So then in terms of actual advice or guidance, I guess this is like you're saying human communication is complicated. We have to figure that out. But then I guess that's a way again to... Uh, see whether that Discord thing can work out in this aspect as well. I think this is the kind of topic uh, that doesn't have a straightforward answer that can be uh, addressed in an ongoing conversation. If people are sharing their experiences with one another and uh, their insights and what worked and what didn't work and uh, give advice to one another, that might be of help. So I'm, I don't know if I'm putting too much hope into this, but I'm, uh, I'm at least I'm very excited to see how this uh, effort is going to turn out. Well, I, I know. I'm, yeah. yeah. Well, I too am very excited. I was just going to say uh, that I don't think uh, people who may be hearing this at the Glenn show have any idea of the nature of the contribution that you are making anonymously and behind the scenes. And it's, it's just thank a privilege you. to be able to thank you for it publicly uh, because you're you're uh, making all the difference in the world on many many levels, intellectually as well as technically. Uh, you're you're Thank a partner so here. Making this a is, real this contribution. Is a great, this is a great opportunity for me. I'm learning a great deal. This is also a little bizarre for me being in Russia and like step like I didn't know who Ibrahim Xkandi was until I heard you talk shit about him on the Glenn show. <laughs> well, don't let ours be the only source of your opinion about Ibrahim Xkandi. Yeah, I do think he's overrated, but that's just me. <laughs> 
but it is like stepping <laughs> through a portal and uh, you know in, into a different world, different reality. Um, okay, I know you need to go soon, so uh, let me, I guess, in conclusion, just say one more thing that I probably should have said at the beginning, uh, which is another kind of email that we uh, have seen many times now to come into that address against the work at glenshow.com is people offering volunteer work. And some of them have, uh, uh, you know, a, a here's what I do. Maybe it could be of help to you. And some of them say, whatever you need, I have a couple of hours a week or a couple hours a day. And so we haven't come up with anything that we could ask these people to do. And so I guess uh, I'm asking the people watching this to if they have any ideas on the kind of help that does not require more work work from our side, right? So if 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 something can be crowdsourced, if something can be done, um, that you know we put something out there and say, here's how you can help us if you have an hour. Um, if we can come up with something like that, then this whole thing can develop further and uh, and maybe quicker. I guess that's my conclusive, you know, thought and conclusion. Uh, I had a, a couple more questions, but we'll save it for a private conversation, I suppose, down the road. Uh, okay. I'm hoping... This was productive. Well, it was. Uh, I hope it will be productive. I think the test of that is whether the audience found it productive. I certainly did. But uh, at least we put some things on the table. Uh, we've given people a place to write to us at the work at glenshow.com. Uh, we have a protocol or a set of protocols for how to, uh, to do that and let us know what they want to say uh, to us so we can sort through it. And we put some things on the table about how we might be helpful. The Discord server will be active in due course uh, and accessible to people who subscribe to the, the Glenn Show at patreon.com forward slash Glenn Show. Um, and uh, it's very clear that we are trying to be a public service here. Uh, it, it, we're not just in it for the money, so to speak. Uh, and we realize that uh, we have the great good fortune of uh, being a, 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 a small influencer, you know, a sort of place where people are coming together with common interests and, and we want to be productive for uh, the larger good of society uh, with with that resource. So that's a message we're getting out to people. And um, again, I thank you very much for your part in it. And uh, yes, we will have private conversation where we can explore some of these things further. Thank you, Glenn. Okay. Take care then, Nikita. You too.